It's spring, and this is the Anderson Observer Podcast. News from people you trust for March 26th, 2017. And all hands are on deck for a new community playground. Uh, A really new food truck is really good news for this community. And a new chief is in charge at Paul's. And all those things are paving the way towards a better future for Anderson County, but we still need better roads, and there are ways to make that happen as well, and that's what I'm going to talk about as we get started here on the Anderson Observer Podcast, News from People You Trust. It has been another great week in Anderson, everybody, and even though the vernal equinox once again did little to keep frost off the ground last week, it does look like spring is making an official appearance as we head down the home stretch towards Easter. I do want to start this week one more time talking about funding for Anderson County Roads, and we took a step in that direction last Tuesday night at the Anderson County Council meeting. And I know we discussed this a good bit in last week's podcast, but with only 20 miles of roads being repaired in the county every year, and with every trip I take, I seem to be challenged by dodging potholes or looking out for crumbling road areas and bumps in the road. The roads are still among the most important issues heading into the county's current budget cycle and plans for the upcoming fiscal budget year. So it was a busy week, and county council met, and they did approve uh, merging the individual council members' paving funds into a single $1 million transfer of money to the countywide Roads and Bridges Fund. New councilman uh, Ray Graham brought this proposal forward, and he uh, he said that you know after the recent matrix study the county had paid for, had already outlined the fact that the Roads and Bridges folks are doing a good job, and they have the priorities in the right order. They just don't have the funding when it comes to using just the money on hand. A few council members were a little bit reluctant. Uh, most ended up voting for it. And a couple suggested that council members had always done this sort of thing, uh, similar sharing the money, which is kind of sort of not particularly true. Um, although I, I can understand where they're saying that because Assistant Anderson County Administrator Holt Hopkins has indeed always sought out council members for their priorities in their districts and when it came to time to repair their roads. But over the years, this fund, which has been divided differently in different years, which is even odder, among council members, that's $1 million we're talking about, has been used for parking lots, carillons, recreation stuff, a lot of other pet projects in individual districts that had nothing to do with roads. Not blaming anybody. There's nothing wrong with it, nothing amiss there. I mean, it was council members doing what, uh, finding the funds they needed to do things that need to be done in their districts. But this money needed to be used on paving, particularly as the money is dried up for paving. Remember, just to maintain our current 1,540 miles of county roads would require almost $8 million a year. And so you add the money budgeted from the council's funds, that $1 million, into the Anderson County Roads and Bridges Fund, we're still really short with only about $3 million on hand to deal with our roads. It's a statewide problem, and if you've been paying attention, we had a story in the Anderson Observer this past week that talked about SCS. The South Carolina Department of Transportation director said that a comprehensive rating method showed that about 54% of the state's roads are in such poor condition they need to be reconstructed. Now, that means dug up and rebuilt. And that's far more expensive than maintaining and paving roads and taking care of our bridges and other things. Anderson County doesn't need to fall into this trap and become one of the, the, the drags dregs in the state. Uh, council is moving ahead to find ways, including many of those suggested by the recent matrix study. And some of those and some of the others include a vehicle tax or taxes from accommodations, hospitality, taxes. Uh, These are all places other counties have used to maintain road repairs. Uh, In fact, one study also last week suggested that bad roads cost the average driver in South Carolina $1,300 per vehicle in repairs and tires and other road-related issues, struts. You you know what kind of things happens when you hit potholes or hit bumps or hit places when you're going and don't see them. 
Currently, 23 counties in South Carolina have vehicle fees to deal with this. Horry County has the highest fees at $50 per year, and Abbeville County has the lowest and the oddest at $13.99. The statewide average is about $24. It's a little over that now. I think it's $27 per year. And I have had a discussion with the leadership in almost every Anderson charitable organization, and without exception, they agreed that even the working poor who own vehicles uh, and are on very fixed incomes could absorb such modest fees if it meant better roads that would make their tires last longer and their cars last longer because most of them are driving older cars and they take even more damage sometimes from hitting some of these places and the roads are having to travel on. Uh, often the folks who are uh, uh, economically challenged are living in areas where the roads may be the worst. A number of national studies agree with this recent statewide study and they also suggest that well-maintained well roads more than offset any cost of vehicle fees and savings on all the mechanical repairs and tires. So it's pretty clear that it is a money-saving move in the long run. So it's it's dollar-wise, not, not penny-wise, but dollar-wise. And if Anderson County did approve, just, just for, to throw out a figure, this has not been proposed officially or floated anywhere, um, a $35 annual vehicle fee, that would be about 10 cents, 10.4 cents a day for a person for their car. And they would do this with a provision that the money can never be used for any purpose other than road and bridge maintenance and repair. It would generate more than $6.1 million annually, and that would completely cover the cost of maintaining our roads and bridges and give Anderson County not only a chance to save the roads, which are almost beyond saving, but it would also make Anderson County a shining example of what it looks like when citizens are willing to pay for the common good and to do something that's good for both themselves and everybody else. Again, that money be used exclusively for roads, and essentially the fee would mean that every vehicle owner of a vehicle would be providing a sustainable source of funding for Anderson County roads and bridges at a cost of just, you know, a dime a day. And it would save every vehicle owner some far more money on that and tires alignments and other damage to compensate for that modest amount of money. There's certainly a lot more to consider on this issue. Uh, some people scream no taxes. If we had a Again, if, if someone came up with a you know way to cure cancer in Anderson County, but it was going to cost $20 per citizen, it would have people against it. But even if we put income-based exemptions for the elderly and working poor or working families with restricted funds, this fee would still be a big enough benefit for Anderson County to take care of the roads and things we've neglected for so many years. And it's really been decades at this point since we've been funded properly. So we'll talk more about that in the weeks ahead. I'm going to interview some more people as we talk about it. The other big news out of uh, Tuesday night's uh, Anderson County Council meeting, if you missed it, you can read about it in the Anderson Observer. There's a story about it that uh, Anderson has decided to be friends of the court in the asking not to allow Kinder Morgan to dismiss their suit, uh, the suit against Kinder Morgan. Um, several other agencies have been involved. Kinder Morgan, you know, from the 2014 spill and uh, half a million, well, it's been more than half a million gallons of gasoline from the uh, pipeline, plantation pipeline. And they did soil samples, and they're just not happy what they found. The, the guarded good news at the time was, and they're still sorting all this out, that it had probably not gotten down as far as Broadway Lake, um, but they're still waiting to get confirmation on all that. So that was the other big news, and we appreciate um, council uh, led by Anderson County Council member Cindy Wilson and, and Ray Graham continuing to push forward to make sure that, that Kinder Morgan does the right thing and cleans up the mess they've made down there. There's some indication the pipes may have been le leaking for a long period of time, even before the spill. And again, we'll talk about that more as that develops. The, the, the results have been tentatively examined, but not, not actually um, verified. And they want to compare them to the, the samples coming back from uh, DHEC and the samples coming back from Kinder Morgan to see what everybody else got from the same water samples. So we'll be talking more about that. 
Before we get any further, I do want to thank our sponsor, and it doesn't get any better than our sponsor. This podcast is made possible in part by Sullivan's Metropolitan Grill and Sullivan's Caters, Anderson's finest food dining establishment for special occasions, dinner, lunch, and more. You know, right here on the Anderson Observer Podcast, news from people you trust, there's no place we'd rather eat than Sullivan's. You can find me down there many days during the week. And there's reasons for that. One, it's just it's one of the greatest places in downtown Anderson. And for great reason, Sullivan's has been listed as one of the top 100 restaurants in the United States, which is only one of two in South Carolina to ever grab this honor. And they've been featured many times in Southern Living, numerous culinary magazines. Even on the front page of the Wall Street Journal, you can see that story up in Sullivan's. They've got that down there. It's pretty rare. But Bill Nickerson and his wife, Sabre, they took a chance when they opened Sullivan's in downtown Anderson almost 20 years ago. If you remember downtown Anderson 20 years ago, it was pretty, a pretty desolate place. We owe them a huge thanks for that since their risk kicked off the renaissance of downtown Anderson. I really believe that. They paved the way for more people to begin to move in down there, and, and they saw them. And we appreciate everybody else who's done that since then. But uh, Bill and Sabre, they also offer catering. Sullivan's has catering rates more competitive than you would believe, more competitive than most anybody in town if you'll take a look at it. You can visit their Facebook page, which is Sullivan's Caters or Sullivan's Metro Grill to find out about the restaurant. And you can get that same great food for your wedding, family reunion, party, or corporate event by checking Sullivan'sCaters.com or the Sullivan Caters Facebook page. People remember that nobody has been a better community citizen than Sullivan's as well. They've been in front of the line helping charities in, in this town since they came on board 20 years ago. And the thing that impressed me when I was just getting to know Sullivan's, I went to an event they did for AIM. And the food they put out was not the typical chicken fingers and cheese squares. It was shrimp and grits and quail and all their best foods. And when, So when they do something for charity, they do it right, and we really appreciate that. So go down to Sullivan's downtown, have lunch, have dinner, and tell them you heard about it on the Anderson Observer Podcast, news from people you trust. Well, this week also had so many great events, I'm not going to be able to get to them all. But if you were bored this past Saturday, you weren't paying attention to what was going on. Uh, started early Saturday morning, the, the balloon fun fly was at the Civic Center, and it was another hit. They had decent weather, a lot of fun, a lot of local folks getting balloon rides for the first time. And if the colorful sight of those things dot in the sky, man, doesn't do something for you. You remember the first time that happened in Anderson, uh, back when people literally stopped their cars and pulled over on the side of the road to sit and watch or get out and sit on their hood and watch to see those balloons fly over? Or did they even follow them to where they landed? A lot of people did. Maybe we've grown a little too accustomed to the wonder of those kind of things, but I hope not. I do remember coaching a little league uh, at the YMCA a few years ago, and during one of our games, the balloons had launched and filled the sky, and almost every kid on the field dropped their gloves and just stood and stared. Some even sat down, and others ran around with joy pointing at them. And I'm glad we still have folks who are making a place for balloons at Anderson and folks who are continuing to make that happen, even though sometimes it's challenging. I know their fall events met with a lot of weather challenges, but... This was a great spring event. I hope every year they're going to come back and try this this March balloon fun fly at the Civic Center. And I'm also glad there's still some folks working hard to keep our heritage and agriculture in full view for our families to enjoy in a fun way, which is exactly what happened Saturday at Old Farm Day at the Bart Garrison South Carolina Agricultural Museum in Pendleton. Uh, Norman Durham, who has been the driving force behind Old Farm Day, the Old Farm Day for decades, uh, which brings in old tractors, hit-or-miss machines, a lot of other old farm machinery and equipment, and the collectors together to share these things with the community. A lot of demonstration. These aren't like things like a museum. They've got these machines running. And How long have you been involved in Old Farm Days in Well, the show first started in 1972 at Veterans Park. It lasted there for 34 years. And then we quit having the show for various reasons. It just kind of 
outgrew the park and uh, it was kind of complicated there at the Veterans Park. But, so then we quit doing it for a while. And then we started up about four years ago at Astribula. And it stayed there for four years. And then this is the first year here at the Woodburn and Agricultural Museum. And I think this is going to be a good place for it. It's turned out real good. It's got a good crowd. Good crowd all day, and they got a lot of a lot of stuff from one end to the other for everybody. And of course, the house tour and the ag museum is, is something that we couldn't show off at uh, Astribula. And Woodburn doesn't get as much attention as the Astribula show, so it's just kind of helped them out a lot. What kind of machinery you got in here, Norman? What kind of stuff you got? Basically, they got a lot of. Uh, hit and miss engines that was used back in the 20s. And of course, you got the tractors that was used back in the 20s and the 40s. Uh, you got a cotton gin up there. They got uh, some big engines that was used to pull the cotton gins. Uh, a lot of working displays, hand works plays, all kind of stuff. So. Anything's your favorite? What's your favorite? My favorite is, of course, the hit and miss engines. That's what I collect. And some people collect tractors. So it's something for everybody to collect. As it stands now, hopefully this is going to be annually here now. It's going to be an annual event here. It's always going to be the last weekend in March. Whatever, whatever that Saturday is, that's when it's going to be. Thanks, Mark. All right. Um, people came from all over to see this again this year, and this year the event was held for the first time at the State Museum of Agriculture. Don't forget Anderson County is home for two state museums. We're the State Museum for Agriculture, and we're the State Tennis Museum and Hall of Fame. So there's two statewide museums right here in Anderson County. But it was held there this year, and Les McCall, who's the director of the State Museum of Agriculture, said the consensus among everybody that's been by far the most successful show to date, and that the event included, you know, I was out there, they had everything from animals, they had dogs that farm work, that worked farms, they had chickens and pigs and all sorts of other events, things that little kids could come and see and touch and be around, and interactive displays where you could learn how to milk a cow and actually milk a cow set up they had there. You have to check it out, the museum has that regularly. They had a demonstration of a 19th century cotton gin and other old machinery that, that was just pretty amazing to see and keep running it. And people who had a real passion for running them. And they also had tours of Woodburn Plantation all in, in one day. A lot of good food, and a lot of arts and crafts and other exhibits and things for kids to do. It was, it was a good day, as I said. And uh, I talked to Norman and to, um, to uh, Les a little bit about it. And was, they were really pleased about how things went this year. All right, Les McCall, director of the Bart Garrison Agricultural Museum of South Carolina. And this is our annual Farm Day event. Um, it's the first time we've had it here at the Ag Museum all the way down to Woodburn Historic House. We've shut down the entire road, um, shuttling people with cat bus um, so we can exhibit down the entire stretch. All right, uh, since we've moved it over here to the Ag Museum, we've expanded um, our crafters and demonstrators and exhibitors. Um, it kind of started across town at Ashtabula as more of an engine show, and we've developed it into um, much more of an artisan and crafter um, fair, old-time demonstrations, and still the tractor and engine show. So um, it's, it's old farm day in a sense that a lot of the stuff is antiqued, um, but it's mostly about those old-fashioned um, skill sets that uh, basically completely died out, except for these few who are keeping the flame alive. Um, so it's a very educational day, lots to see and do for kids and adults. Um, it's an all-inclusive ticket at the gate, uh, $5 gets you into the Ag Museum, all exhibits, uh, getting to see all the demonstrations. It gets you into Woodburn and everything 
absolutely everything in between. And typically the cost just to get into one place like Woodburn is more than five bucks per person. So it's a it's a um, really sweet deal. Um, some of the exhibitors here, um, right here in the lot. It's a whole area. Yeah. Okay, all right. We've got everything from um, people who die with indigo uh, to starting the big diesel engine in the back, gin and cotton on site. We've got folks showcasing farm animals from hogs, chickens, goats. Um, we've got uh, folks making soap, uh, cooking, outdoor, open hearth cooking, whittling, just, you know, good old-fashioned crafts and farm skills um, up here with us. And then as it goes down the street, um, there are folks who have rebuilt and revitalized small engines to large engines, old hit-and-miss engines, tractors, you name it. If you missed it this year, you can put it on your calendar. Uh, it's the last Saturday in March. That'll be March 31st in 2018. And I'm sure a lot of the families and their kids and older folks will be back uh, next year, that are this year's event. And I bet most of them return. I plan on trying to get back up there, too. It really was a nice day. Well, Anderson County and Pendleton both had cleanup days on Saturday as well. And as we all know, there are just too many litter bugs that keep us all busy cleaning up roadsides. Can't we just all be deputized and start arresting folks when we see slobbing around with their trash? I think that might be a way to expand the litter thing. Um, but yeah, we appreciate all the folks who volunteered their Saturdays to get out and pick up trash that somebody else was just too slobby with. Um, they literally gathered tons of, of trash and really beautified our highways in a way that, that, that does help for a little while until people start trashing it again. If you see anybody uh, throwing trash on the road, call the tag number in. And it may have some identifying stuff on it. If you find any trash uh, on the side of the road in bags or anything else, call the litter control and they'll check it out. And if there's any identifiable way to catch them, they will try to do that. And we do appreciate the work that they do trying to get those folks. Well, speaking of appreciating work and effort, it is time for another round of thanks to Anderson, Andersonian and Julia Woodson, a talk tour on the Anderson Reserve podcast. It's news from people you trust. Back when we started this podcast, uh, well, it was actually about a year in, and Julia had just begun this this effort. Uh, she has been remarkably tireless in trying to renovate and restore Kid Venture at the Anderson County Civic Center, the playground out there. And this weekend is volunteer cleanup time. She's been really promoting it. It's April 1st. It's this Saturday. And you can still help. Still time to volunteer. And she has spent about the last 18 months seriously and with great enthusiasm and humor single-handedly uh, transforming this aging and dangerous beast of a playground into something that kids can enjoy and then be safe in again. And I say this having been one of the volunteers who helped build the original playground, which was nice when we built it. But there was not a lot of thought that went into safety in some ways and accessibility. I know the volcano castle thing, whatever they want to call it. I never heard it called a castle until recently. Um, was not a good place when you had small children. I remember my small kids. I, it was uh, frightening to even think they'd go in there and not know when they were coming out or where. Just was too, too, the safety factor was just not there. And it was also announced well over 20 years old. The wood and the other stuff had not aged very well. So I talked to Julia today, actually, about the event this weekend and about her work on the project, which literally, again, would not have happened without her efforts. All right, let's talk a little bit about Saturday. Um, big event. Okay. It's been coming a long time, and I know you uh, you have been expending an extraordinary amount of energy trying to make this happen. Just remind everybody real quick how this all started, Julia. Well, I had gone to um, the park with one of my grandchildren and just saw it was kind of looking really run down, and I didn't pay too much attention to it because it was just it was a few little things, and it and I just kind of stayed confined to the toddler area. And I went back a couple weeks later with one of my older grandchildren, well, actually two of them, into the larger area, and there was 
I was just flabbergasted by the amount of safety hazards over there and the amount of litter and neglect. There was broken boards. There was um, wheelchair ramps that were broken inside the volcano castle structure, which is no longer there, was just boarded over in whole areas. And there was only one way in and out. And it was just like a predator's haven in there. And it was very dirty. There was a lot of graffiti everywhere in the park. And it just, it wasn't the place you'd want to take your children. And that was a couple of years I, ago, right? That was a couple of years ago. I think, it's, I think it's been about 18 months now. And there's been a lot of progress since then, though. There has been a lot of progress. The um, the castle volcano structure, which is kind of when KidVenture was originally designed, it was designed using children's designs. So some people call it the castle, some people call it the volcano, because it actually incorporated features from castles and volcanoes in it. And I usually call it the volcano. And the volcano has been moved, which was one of the biggest safety hazards, and it was actually obstructing some security areas or security features. So that's been moved, and it's been taken to a church, and they've got it on their playground there, and they've, I'm assuming, refurbishing it. And the county was able to get a Parks and Recreation grant, and they've put in a piece of equipment there in the older children's area, which just is kind of like your standard piece of a playground equipment. Everybody loved the original concept of KidVenture with all the wood, and it was such a great design by Leathers and others, but after it had become so neglected, right? that that wooden structure wasn't feasible anymore everywhere. And the wooden facade is still staying, but what's in the playground area, the main playground feature is something you would see in your more traditional playground. Lots of new equipment. Uh, Lots of new equipment. More more compliant to all kids so everybody can come in and play. Right, and that's that's one of the goals, too, is when KidVenture was first built, it was built to ADA-compliant standards of the time. But like everything else, things have changed in the last 20 years, and we've, we've really learned a lot about how to make things more compliant for children and families with disabilities that may need a little bit more help getting in and out of places. So it no longer was in code, and particularly with the damage, it was no no longer in code. Now, you've spent, a lot, right of time, now, you've spent a lot of time raising funds, asking people for money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I do spend a lot of time uh, asking people for money, and um, one of the things I've really said with that because we're trying to raise $40,000 along with the Rotary Club and the Rotary Club is actually in charge of the financial end of it but I'm trying to help them raise that money but they've got by financial I'm looking for the word here the financial things in place right right they take care of all the money you don't have to worry about 501c3 I don't have to worry about it they take care of all the taxes the everything, that type of thing. So they're in charge of the money aspect of it. And I have been asking people for money with them. And one of the things I've been trying to emphasize is no one person needs to give a lot. It's a community park. 
So it, we started out, you know, if 8,000 people gave just $5 each, we would have our $40,000 coal. And that's a tiny percentage of the, the county. Yeah, I mean, we've got almost 200,000 people. That's a tiny percentage of the county. So it it works out that that's, and we're down to about 4,500 people now. Just need to get $5 each. And people don't even think about it. You know, even if you just, you're, you're somewhere shopping, like at the Kitchen Emporium, and you see a jar there and you put 25 cents in it, that all adds up. Right. No, nobody needs to do a lot. And one thing I said this morning is we don't even think about going to a fast food restaurant that has an inside playground and paying $5 for lunch for a child and then possibly the same for ourselves and being inside that inside. And here it is beautiful spring weather and we could be ha- packing a healthy snack and going to the park and donating that $5 to maintain that park. And it stays right here and benefits our family. So we still need donations, and the other thing is the big work day Saturday. Still need volunteers. Now, you've got a bunch of volunteers coming. We do have a bunch of volunteers coming, and um, they're, they're coming from New Spring. I had asked um, New Spring about putting out a press release, and I have not heard back from them, but I'm sure they have announced it during their service, so it's, it's no secret New Spring is coming. Um, and they are because it, very fortunate that New Spring has a day of service planned on April first, which right. I didn't know when I planned our day. So, and you already had some were, volunteers planning to come. So we're going. To, it's not just New Spring. It's a lot of volunteers from other places. It's not not just New Spring. We have it's also gone out to the hospital. There is about um, almost close to forty people associated with the hospital that have signed up to come. So there's those. There's members of the community that have signed up through Facebook. There are people who have sent messages that said, I plan on being there, but I'm just waiting. I don't want to officially sign up to this. So we 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 could be looking at 300-plus people on right. Saturday. Now, but you could still use more people volunteering, right? We can always use more people. I mean, okay. it's it's a giant complex. Right, and, and what are the hours? Remind everybody the hours again, Julia. We'll be starting at 9 o'clock and going – we're planning on one o'clock. If we do have a huge so force, we may be able to finish early. But if we don't have as many people as expected, we may run over too. So it's it's right. nine o'clock until about one ish. So if anybody just and has an hour or two, they're welcome to come by and help for an hour or two, right? An hour or two would be great. And if people can't make it by to actually work, I know some people have other commitments or they might have physical limitations. We could certainly use snacks for these volunteers. And I, I would just say anything without nuts in it because there are going to be children there, and children do have issues with nut allergies. So if people could bring nut-free snacks or maybe some Gatorades for people to drink. We'll have bottled water there, but some people might need a little bit more. There will be a, a bucket there for don- people to put donations in. Somebody just wants to drive by and take the change out of their pocket and throw it in the bucket be- they're unable to work for whatever reason that is all welcome there's some kind of big tournament going on out there at the civic center this weekend so maybe those folks will come by and give a little (laughs) there is a big soccer tournament and that's um one of the things that the civic center staff has asked is that people park in the main civic center parking lot because there's not going to be enough parking 
by the playground itself. Right. And well, it is just, it's a real quick little walk. From it's the very close. Yeah, it's very close. Mm-hmm. All right. Best place for people to find out more information is your Facebook site? Mm-hmm. Friends of the Park Adventure 2.0. Well, wonderful. Uh, I know, um, I think Glenn Brill's video in it. I'm going to be videoing something else, but I'm going to try to swing by and see you all's out there Saturday morning. But I hope it goes great. Appreciate all the work you're doing and hope it goes better than you even expect on Saturday, Julia. Well, thank you so much, and thank you for helping get the word out. All right. Thanks, Julia. I always talk about people making a difference in our county, and Julia Woodson is one of the people who's been doing that. And how about it? If this is something you can help accomplish for this county, make a better playground, safer place for kids and grandkids, you can visit the KidVenture Facebook page, and you can give money there, or you can volunteer, or you can just show up Saturday in the morning and help them do some things they're doing to keep it cleaned up, and they'll have a getting ready to do a preschool area and... If you haven't been out there lately or if you haven't been since your kids are small, you'd be amazed at how the new equipment looks and how much safer it is and how much more accessible. Or if playgrounds don't really ring your bell for service, how about helping our less fortunate neighbors? Some really great news came out uh, last week about one of the groups that for 26 years has probably done more than any single organization to give folks a hand up here in Anderson. And of course, I'm talking about AIM. It used to be Anderson Interfaith Ministries if you're not used to just the AIM part. And one of their core ministries has always been food distribution. This is groceries, trying to help folks uh, who, who just need something to eat. But don't get the idea it's just a food line. Uh, AIM has always tried to get to know folks, and now they try to get to know folks with a purpose who come there for food, and they help them with their lives to find, in finding jobs, getting the education they might need, some tutoring, help with their kids, financial independence, and sometimes just pouring out some pure compassion on folks who haven't seen very much. So many working poor and underprivileged folks really feel forgotten and left out, and they're not that ever, that never happens to them at AIM. And we, we've always appreciated that. And, you know, you can't help a hungry person very much. They can't, can't find a way up if they're hungry, so AIM has helped there. And feeding more than four, 700 families a month, uh, and that number is just is it's down a little bit, but it's still had pretty it's pretty steady over the years. It takes a lot of cooperation and efforts, and that includes picking up food from generous partners like Publix and others. But that also means that somebody has to pick up food, and for that you need a truck, and not just any truck, but you need a refrigerated truck, and those are expensive. But for the past six years, a shining example of volunteerism has been Carolina Produce, who has volunteered to pick up and deliver food between their routes and when they could seven days a week at no cost to AIM. Uh, just an amazing thing to step up, and, and their folks were working off the clock and doing their own things to help their community. Just talk about solid community citizens and how much we appreciate what Carolina Produce did. Six years is a very long time to volunteer time and labor from your business every single day, seven days a week. And if other community businesses followed their lead, we would be the envy of the entire planet. But AIM had not only a, a vision and need um, they also wanted to relieve this wonderful business of something that they've been carrying out selflessly for six years. Didn't just didn't feel like it was fair to continue to ask them to do it. And they also wondered if they had knew that if they had their own truck, it could be used at any hour to pick up food donations on a schedule that offered more opportunities for more food and more things to go on for AIM. And so I talked about some folks at AIM this week about it. I talked to Amy Hoyes and Jordan Evans, and here's what they had to say. I'm Amy Hoyes. I'm the Vice President of Resource Development here at AIM, and I raise funds um, to run the programs here at AIM, as well as um, public relations and outreach in the community to get the community. How many involved. jobs is that, Amy? It's a lot. It's a lot of jobs. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of hats. How many business cards? Does it stretch across three business cards? Uh, I, I've had several business cards, but I've got one right now. <laughs> so it's good. 
And I'm uh, Jordan Evans. I'm the director uh, of the Hunger Ministries here at AIM, which is a pr predominantly a food pantry uh, distribution, but also uh, uh, a lot of food rescue and partnerships within the community uh, to other food pantries um, and or ministries that uh, are, you know, are somehow distributing food products, personal products uh, for those in need here in Anderson. Remind everybody how many people we feed. Well, um, historically, it's always been eight nine hundred a month. Um, here in the last year, um, we've seen a little uh, a little drop off. Um, a lot of that um, we think is due to uh, our referral process and helping folks get employed, uh, get greater uh, skills training, uh, so mm -hmm. they can be self sufficient. And that's our ultimate goal. Our ultimate goal is to serve zero families uh, uh, here at the pantry because there there would be no need. You know that that that's what we're striving for. Well, I've heard so many great stories out of the pantry of somebody who would come here and then you don't just you don't just hand out people have a misconception you just have people line up and you give them a basket of food or a right. bag they leave you actually talk to people and figure out what the need is and people and I've heard so many great stories of people who came to get food and ended up getting new jobs and yep. yeah. a new career and it changed their lives. Well, and that's the goal. I mean, they come here for one service and we want to help them holistically. Everything that's going on in their lives, they might need food. And then we discover in interviewing them that they need help with their rent or their mortgage or power bill, their water bill, and they can't pay those bills or they can't buy that food because they're underemployed or not employed at all. So that's why here on, on our campus we can do it all. We are a training center that can help them um, with different supportive services to help them get a job, to, to be self-sufficient. I think it's important people remember too, because people ask me, well, people should be able to find that. A lot of people don't know how to do that. They don't. And, and they're either second, even third generation from uh, lower socioeconomic, economically deprived in some way, and lack of education, and nobody just told them. They grew up in neighborhoods where nobody said, hey, you know, you can do better than this. You can. There's jobs and things out there, and so they don't know. They need somebody to, exactly. to be a signpost to that. Well, there's such a cycle of generational poverty, which I'm sure you've heard that term, but that generational poverty and that cycle, and they just can't get out, get out of that circle. And so much is, to me, they're not in that right circle of support. They've got a circle of friends that might not be the best influence for them, and they just need that one person to take a chance on them. And here at AIM, we can case manage with them, and we can work with them one-on-one. -on -one. So to me, that mentoring component, that one-on-one -on -one component of helping them to know how to work a computer, to, to apply for a job online, no one taught them how to, how to you know, even know what a mouse is and work a computer and, and really hold their hand to help them with, with the little things as far as building them up and getting them to believe in themselves. And, you know, one of the things I love is we have a career coach here on campus who not only do they help someone go through their training and believe in themselves to take those training classes to become a CNA, our career coach went with her to go help her buy the, the shoes she needed to, to be in that program. So... Sometimes it's the little things like that, that having that one person to reach out to them and hold their hand, that makes a huge difference in someone's life. But they can't do any of those things if they're hungry, really. I exactly. Mean, true. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're the front door uh, for AIM, and it, it's probably always been like that, and we're, we're okay with that. And, um, again, a lot of, a lot of folks are, are, are coming here because they need those basic, those basic needs, and obviously that's what we want to be able to do is, uh, you know, you... A family can't get by, as you said, you know, looking for a job and you know, looking to better themselves. They're going to need basic needs, and, and that's why we're here, to be able to offer that grace in that time of crisis. Uh, but what's so great is we've been able to connect a lot of our programs now uh, to give basic needs, but also to be able to connect them, give them that support that they can be self-sufficient. And it's working. Uh, um, 
I don't know if we could say that going way back, but it's working now, mm-hmm. and that's what's most exciting. We don't find a lack of, uh, in my opinion, a lack of wanting to work, wanting to be able to do it. We, right. we find it just the opposite. They're, they're wanting to do it, but as Amy mentioned, a lot of them just they don't know how to get there. They don't have the resources. And, and we're that bridge. We're trying to be that bridge uh, for them. That's a huge bonus because I always tell yep. people – you do the best you can, do what you can, and, and just hope for the best results. But y'all, y'all are trying to take it to the next step. Because right. that's like I said, anytime you give somebody food that's hungry and you're trying to do you, you've done something spectacular. Sure. I mean, you really have. That's, right. and so, now, to, to provide the kind of food resources, it takes a lot of partnerships and a lot of help from the community, right? I, absolutely. Okay, talk a little bit about how that works. Well, um, you know, we basically... We run primarily off volunteers. Um, we have, you know, we have a large staff as a whole, but very limited in certain areas. Um, uh, so uh, our partnerships with our volunteers and with the other agencies in this community, uh, no doubt, has played a huge role in the success and the uniqueness of what we do here. Um, uh, to be able to rescue uh, food that we do, and, and to my knowledge, we're the only agency uh, in Anderson County uh, that rescues food seven days a week. And so, yeah, we're only open for business Monday through Friday, but Saturday, Sunday, holidays, whatever, we're nonstop rescuing that food. And a lot of that is staff and is volunteers, um, and um, we partner so well uh, with the other agencies in this community. Um, there are other needs uh, that they need. They, um, we have an excess of a certain product, and, and, and it just so happens they're in need of that certain product. Well, I we think that's important to people realize that, that our community is... I don't know about unique, but unusual in that that people share. I mean, yeah, because a lot of agencies are very territorial yeah. about, and we're not. Yeah, and, and I think that it probably was like that years ago and before my time. And I have to give a a, a lot of uh, support and shout out to Floyd Hill, who was a staff member here for a long time, and is now one of my most consistent regular volunteers that we have. Uh, he really started to see that as a, just kind of a norm of operation, like you said, territorial, because hey, everybody's wanting to. Uh, uh, to do their own business and be successful at their own business. Um, but Floyd started to see uh, the need in partnering and sharing with one another uh, because you just know, you don't know what you're going to get with donations in the community, and, that, and that's great. Uh, you're going to get an excess of a certain product. That's just the way it's going to go. And, and it takes a lot of work. Floyd and uh, the late Alan Bollock used to be at Haven. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Worked hand in glove. Yes. And they re- those guys were aggressive yeah. about getting out and finding <laughs> food. They very yeah. And also about checking with the Good Neighbor Cupboard and Meals on Wheels. Yeah. Said, what do y'all need? Yeah. We, we still got? do that. Still do and that. And we have continued that. But I mean, Alan and Floyd really got out yeah. there and, and beat they the bushes. They did those grassroots, and, yeah. Yeah, I feel, yeah, Alan uh, was just tremendous. When I first got here, he was here every day, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, three years ago, and we miss him so much. But he, uh, he again, I f- failed to mention him. I'm glad you did. He was tremendous. And they, again, they spearheaded that attack of getting out. And, and some folks were hesitant at first because, again, it's it's a new concept. Well, wait a minute. Are you trying to kind of trick us uh, into getting more product from it? No, that's not mm-hmm. the point at all. It's not about our individual kingdoms. It's about the one kingdom. Right. And uh, and that's what we tried to relay in Floyd and Allen. They were they were the pillars of that. And it's continued today. We've tried to we tried to strengthen that. Well donors and food drives and other things help, but one of the, the sort of linchpins is having a truck. Yes. A refrigerated truck. Yeah. Now the last couple of years we've been using a volunteer. You know, someone tell me about Well, for six years and Jordan can speak more readily to this, but um, we pick up food, we rescue the food from Publix, and right. they require a refrigerated truck to pick up their food. Well, we didn't have one, 
So Carolina Produce for six years graciously picked up the food for us. It's been six years. Six years they picked up the food, and so you know we had talked about having a refrigerated truck. It was just a matter of we just didn't have the funds in order to purchase one, and so we really needed to reach out to the community. And it really kind of came to light when you know we had one pickup truck and one minivan basically to pick up everything, to pick up all this food. And they did this as volunteers. Yes. Yeah, they, they, they didn't charge right. anything. They didn't charge to know that this, yeah. They just stepped up. Yeah. And they said, stepped up and, and they did didn't, that. And, and y'all got a new truck, not because they started whining about it. Y'all just decided, no. we need to let, we need to Nobody get this. complained. Yeah. It was just, yeah. it was one of those things that we just, and Jordan can speak to this as far as just in strengthening our program areas, but when we're, our van had died, our minivan had died, um, back in November, December timeframe. And so that's when we really, really started looking at what are we spending on different things? What, what do we need? And so we started kind of raising money towards overall programmatically, what vehicles do we need to really run the, run the food pantry properly and rescue the food that ourselves, ourselves. So, um, Jordan can kind of speak to how that kind of played out. Um, but we, we raised the money to, to purchase that refrigerated truck. That's the big news, new truck. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, it's the biggest addition, um, uh, the biggest uh, item uh, that, we, that I felt that we needed going, going forward. I mean, uh, Jerry and, um, and, and his crew at Carolina Produce were, were so good to us. I mean, they have their own routes to run. They have their own business to run. They were doing all this stuff free of charge. Tell me who Jerry is, just in case I don't know. Yeah, uh, Jerry is the owner of uh, of Carolina Pro. Last name? Um, geez. Wellborn. Yeah, Jerry Wellborn. Wellborn okay. and his. And um, um, they, again, they um, they holidays because when we would be closed, they usually would run too, which it worked out great. Wow. Uh, so we didn't ever have to call a store and say, "Hey, we just can't pick up." And when you when you're in the business that we're we're in. Uh, you know, stores they have to have the stuff out of there. Exactly. They don't. They don't really have time for. We can't. You can't come. They're going to find someone else, or they're going to throw it away. Throw, a lot of them throw yeah, it downstairs. Exactly. Anyway, exactly. And so we were so lucky uh, that the Wellborn family. Ingles. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that's enough. <laughs> Ingles. <laughs> yeah. Shame on you, Ingles. They just always. I wrote a story about that and wrote a letter to corporate and told them I was just ashamed of it. Yeah. We, we've had uh, several community members. Uh, just individual citizens uh, but but public steps up they help and you got a refrigerated truck and so now that truck enables y'all to have a worry-free yeah and it's more structured and scheduled and more efficient for us because uh carolina pros again we their their schedules are our priority which we understood that and so we kind of fit in when when they were open and so our our pickup and delivery times were just kind of all over the place you could get it delivered at 9 30 you it could be 2 uh, p.m in the afternoon and and that it really didn't do us any favors in planning and right. and, and, and uh, packaging, getting ready to distribute. So now that we have the truck, we're we're on a consistent pickup and drop off time of around two hours for all. You know, we we pick up eight stores in a day. Um, so you know that makes us more efficient. The the unloading is done, the packing is done. Therefore, we can plan to be able to distribute uh, to this community. So all around, it just it helps us out. It's it's one round trip pickup now. And due to the size of the vehicles that we used to have and not having a refrigerated truck to do it, we would have different departure times, different pickup times, right. therefore different... Multiple you know. vehicles going in and out. Yeah. And now if, you, if somebody calls and wants to say, we've got some stuff in your refrigerated truck, we can help you. You can just, you've got you ready to go. Right. Yeah. Well, and I feel like, you know, for me and for my, my department, you know, us raising the funds towards that refrigerated truck, not only, yes, it was, you know, some, some donors 
but individuals, the community really stepped up. When we put that word out there that we needed this, this community came together to help raise those funds. So it's not only the community donating the dollars to get the truck, it's the community that's giving us the food. So we're using the truck to get the food from the community and then we're feeding the community. So it's an entire you know, neighborhood that comes together to help each other from all facets. So that's what I love. That's really the community helping the community. You're helping your fellow neighbor. So um, it's just, it's a wonderful addition really to our fleet here, but it just, it helps us be more efficient, like Jordan said. Um, and really, to me, it also strengthens those community partnerships. So when, when we have our staff member that can go to Publix and pick up those groceries, it's Publix seeing Jordan. You mm -hmm. know, it's Publix seeing someone from AIM, whether it's a volunteer or Jordan, whoever, picking it up. So it strengthens and grows those partnerships. Um, with us as well. And it also opens up other places that potentially might want to donate to us, then we have that truck for it. Right. So. Two things there I wanted to mention. One, uh, again, we, another shout out for Publix because they've been a big supporter yes, they of the and they, they've actually came here with volunteers. And, they had a day of service. Right. Um, I put together a day of service for them. Um, 78 um, employees. We had to give our regular volunteers the day off, and um, we worked together and coming up with all kinds of projects. All they, for, throughout the region. Not yes, here exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, but here at AIM, I mean, they, they did a ton of projects from painting to, you know, um, the lines in the parking lot for parking spaces to painting. Their um, CEO actually came here. Yeah. Right, I remember that. I mean, just, you know, that's how close they're they are. They're very, they're very And involved. the other thing is, like you're talking about partnerships and the community stepping up. When you began to put out the call that you needed a truck, there's some people that really stepped up. And yes, gave, there are. And gave generously and yes. that made it possible to go ahead and get this thing more sooner rather than later right yes we and really you know Greg when when we had that van that had died it really kind of brought it to light for us and um, you know I had mentioned at our breakfast in February that I had people calling me wanting to make anonymous donations and I wasn't sure if it was for real or not and they were for real um, you know a lot of times in the morning you'll come in and there's people in the parking lot asking where they can go for assistance I literally had people for probably a week walking up to me with their checkbook saying, I want to make a donation towards this truck. So to me, the community cares about this. They don't want people to go hungry. So um, yeah, we had a lot of people stepping up and um, I was amazed and in awe at all the people that wanted to help out. Well, let's, let's follow that up. What can, if somebody's listening to this and they want help, what can they do? How can they help the, the food ministry? Well, um, at all times of the year, any, any type of uh, non-perishable item is, is absolutely essential. Uh, I mean, you, you have your busy times of the year, such as the holidays, when you have various corporations and churches and groups that are donating all type of product. Uh, but throughout the year, whether it's January, whether it's December, I mean, non-perishable items help us so much to be able to have a variety of package for these families. I mean, your, your canned good items and your, your box good items, I mean, these help us to be able to plan because we want to be able to serve meals, not just items. We're able to give away fresh meat and produce because of stores like Publix uh, and others. And so we want to be able to package that with different sides, just like you and I would eat a, eat a meal here tonight. Um, you don't just you know eat one item. We want to be able to give meals for these families because there's often more than two in the household. So non-perishable items are essential, and, and that, that is one way that anybody can help. Um, you know, obviously, another way is uh, any type of monetary donations to be able to help with the basic things operation uh, and or volunteer time. You can give online. Yes, you, yep. can, you can give and online. Aimcharity.org. Aimcharity.org. If you forget that, you can just look on yep. Facebook. Yeah, you can look on Facebook. We have a Facebook page where we try to post stuff once a day. And Aimcharity.org, there's actually a donation page, and you can donate towards a certain program area. You can donate 
um, any dollar amount um, right away. So and you should, always need volunteers too, right? Yeah, I mean volunteers again. That it's the lifeblood, and so um, and I think when when folks come here and they volunteer their time, they really begin to fall in love with it because they see that everything that we do, everything that comes in, is going straight to the community. Uh, this is not my pantry. It's not. This is not my food. The money that comes in is not my money. I don't see any of that. I mean, this goes directly uh, to uh, direct client services, and that's what we're all about. And, and the other, I think there's, I try to tell people, if you want to volunteer, even if you've just got a couple hours a week. Exactly. exactly. You know, just come down here a couple hours a week. That any little bit helps and helps kind of take the burden off the people who are here all the time. Yes. Well, and I tell people, you know, we've got 25 staff members, but we've got 80 volunteers consistently every week. So at any given time, there's more volunteers on our campus than there are staff members because that's what, what we were founded upon is volunteers. So it's very much volunteer-run, volunteer-driven, and we have very passionate volunteers who really believe in our programs. Well, um, the uh, you have tours if somebody's wondering hadn't been down yes. there. Or something. It's amazing how many people are moving into this community. I mean, mm -hmm. you see it in the traffic, but you know, I'll see all the time, well, we've been here less than a year, yep. and they haven't heard of just anything. I mean, I, I talked to somebody who's been here three years that have never heard of Sullivan's downtown. Really? Wow. How do you live here for three years? And I said, you missed the best restaurant. I'll say, I live downtown, so I like Yeah, but, yeah. you know, Anderson. There's, yeah. Well, we, we do tours the third Wednesday of every month at 10 a.m. They start in our training center. And we really, like you said, we try to get people that are new to the area and whether they were just, they're just curious about resources or they want to volunteer or they want to donate, we kind of get the gamut of who comes to the tours. Um, but yeah, we do them every, um, every month and we have six buildings. That's the other kind of misconception I think sometimes people don't realize. We have a whole campus and each building kind of does its own thing, but we all work in conjunction together for that continuum. And so... And what if churches or something they need a joy box are y'all manufacturing those yes we actually um one of the career canvases is is making my joy boxes as we speak greg um so high time <laughs> it only took two years i right? know i did it well we have joy box we have a giant joy box that we have all that. of our events you can't haul that one around no you cannot haul that one about but we're having little joy boxes. huge well, I wanted it huge because we have these you big the idea. Yeah, I like, that's fine. I understand. Um, but we've got these little joy boxes that are being made by some students, and they're about the size of a birdhouse. Super. Um, and what we're going to do is a lot of times, we've got about 140 churches that support us on a regular basis consistently, but obviously, you know, we were founded by this faith community. We want more churches to support us. So regularly, um, I was just asked to speak at a church on Sunday, this past Sunday. Um, we get asked to speak to churches, and so the goal is to take the joy boxes to those churches and have them keep them there so that they can generate funds for us on a regular basis. Sunday school basis. classes, garden clubs, exactly. anything. Because some of the Sunday school classes actually are going to be more diligent than a congregation we do have, it's Yeah, we do have certain churches that are regular missions group and regular Sunday school right. classes that designate funds the third Sunday or whatever to us. It's not as many as we would like, obviously. I mean, we really want to get the churches back engaged with us because there's, again, that's how we were founded. And again, that's what... People, churches refer their, their congregation and, and the public to us, so we need to be financially supported by that. All right, we've talked about the new truck. We've talked about what people can do can help the food pantry. Moving into spring, summer, what can people do now to, to help out here? Well, we've got several different things. For the development side, we've got an event um, April 21st. It's our all-in dinner and silent auction. Um, so if you're interested, the information's on our website. Where's it at? It's at the new Blakely Station downtown. Ah, it's a good chance to see it. Yeah, it's a fur. It's our first event. Catered by, you know. Catered by Uptown Lounge, um, and so we. Um, it's our first Friday night event, 
and it's our first event at the Blakely Station. So we're really excited about it. But one of the Clemson University football coaches, Tony Elliott, he's the co-offensive coordinator. Right. He is going to be speaking, and he has an amazing story of inspiration and, and, and belief. And so, um, t individual tickets are $100. If you want to buy a table, they're $750. A table is for eight people. Um, I will tell you, we're getting very, we're very, very close to being sold out. Um, the capacity there, we can only fit about 500 people, and we're pretty much right there. So Excellent. if people want to get a ticket. But the other great part is we have a, some silent auction items, some great silent auction items. Disney tickets, kitchen appliances, um, a bunch of things. That okay, we, so you got an event. Yes. What other things can people don't start donating now to prepare you all for the Well, and this summer, summer um, we've got Summer Food for Kids. So we've actually already started reaching out to some places for Summer Food for Kids to donate items. Yes, um, Summer Food for Kids will start, I think the kids get out of school June 9th. It's a Tuesday, yeah. Something around there. Um, and we are taking um, um, uh, items to be able to distribute to the children for the weekend. We give those out on uh, every Friday. And I think this year it's going to run the way the calendar falls 10 weeks. Yep. Uh, we don't do it the week of 4th of July just because Anderson's pretty much a ghost town. Um, well, we found in our program anyway. So 10 weeks, we're taking up uh, uh, breakfast items such as uh, snack-sized cereal that you can get at Walmart, Sam's Club, super cheap if you want to buy a box of 30 or something like that. Uh, we're doing the 8-ounce non-refrigerated milk to go with that item, um, small cans of the beefaroni, uh, Chef Boyardee kind of kids love it, high in protein. With the pop top. Yeah, with the pop tops. Okay. Uh, uh, same with the, uh, uh, the, the ravioli Chef Boyardee. Uh, we're giving away uh, Nutri-Grain bars, which again are healthy. Uh, Publix generously donated a ton of those items for us for that program. Uh, I know I'm missing. People some. forget how many kids go hungry if they don't get free yeah. lunch and breakfast. Yeah, we we feed over three thousand every summer. Yeah. Um, three thousand kids. Think about that. That's yeah. a lot. Three thousand. And uh, you know, and, it's, and there's several other agencies that are doing the same thing this summer. And uh, and that just it takes that to cover. And that just lets you know. Again, that lets you know. I mean, we're just doing three thousand in our our little area. You got all these camps that are going on, um, and, which is just tremendous. So. Um, donating these items are, are, are huge for us. Fans and, and air conditioner time? Is it time to start? Yes. Refrigerators, yeah. I mean, uh, AC units. AC sure. units, we're going to start kind of, we're still kind of working through heater funds and, and rent assistance kind of funds, but May 1st, we're really going to start putting out there to try to get um, air conditioners donated. The box, the window units. Right, um, small window units. Yeah, yes. the small window units. Um, and Box fans too. And sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Fans, window units. Um, we'll start, you know, getting the word out about those um, around May that we'll need those. So if anybody wants to have, you know, yard sale, lemonade stand, kids want to do stuff, they can collect the money. I had those calls. We're too. in a big need for the for the actual window units. Yes, the window well, units. We only have a few left, honestly. Yeah, so. It's a warm winter. It's going to be a long hot summer. Yes. Yeah. Well, sounds good. We'll get people out here and we'll catch up again. I'll probably see y'all at the big event. But, uh, Thank you. And you can't remember you can't spell a Amy without Aim. That's right. She has been tremendous, <laughs> tremendous. We came in around the same time, yep. and uh, you know around three years ago. And I and I'm not saying this because she's sitting here, but I I can honestly tell you, she has taken Aim to an entirely new level, an entire and that's a that is absolute well, fact. She is well, absolutely you. tremendous and a godsend. Well, thank you, Jordan. <laughs> I tell everybody that's that's the truth because you know we came in at the same time and uh, we did we started so, I started May yeah. so I I just knew uh, well where, where it's it amazing to see I, I I did a story when Christy unlocked the door of that little house behind Grace, Grace Episcopal 
And so I remember when this all started. Mm-hmm. We did last year our annual report. We did now and then, and it was a little picture of the Grace Episcopal Church, and then now all these six right. buildings, and, and it, it's amazing how much we've grown. So. And the need in the community continues to grow. Yes, people need to help. People need to step up. Yep. So we don't we don't need any more complaining. We need people doing doing things. Action. So. Right. All right. Thanks, y'all. All right. Thank you. If you haven't been down to AIM lately, or if you'd like to take a tour, get me in there at all. You can check them out on Facebook or aimcharity.org. It tells you when the tours are. Um, you can call down there anytime and donate money. You can go online donate money. You can bring food, non-perishable food, down there anytime. Uh, they're helping this community in ways uh, we didn't mention, I don't think, but you know, one of the reasons they were founded uh, more than a quarter of a century ago was that the, the churches wanted to work together to have a central place to try to help as many people as they could. And by combining their efforts and resources, they would do that. And that's what AIM has done such a great job of. So we do appreciate what they do. And they do depend on every one of us to give that hand up to our neighbors who little, need a little extra help. And if you've ever heard any of the stories of people whose lives were changed, and their generational cycles of poverty and other things were broken, then you know how great they are. And if you haven't heard them, you can find them at their website and find out more about them. Well, there's another group in Anderson that does a lot of things to help folks. This time they serve people not with two legs, but four legs. And most of them have fur, although a few have had feathers over the years. Even a few have had scales, I think, and they don't not crazy about those. But that's the Anderson County Animal Shelter, better known as PAWS, which is Pets Are Worth Saving, which I agree with. And they're also moving ahead to a bigger, better, and brighter future. Uh, The new full-time veterinarian and director, Dr. Kim Sanders, has made a lot of changes and doing some things out there that are really nice. And, uh, you know, check the building out there as well. And I talked to her not too long ago. We've had to delay this, running this uh, interview for a few weeks. So it's not, so things have uh, have changed even more and gotten even better since since she and I talked. But uh, Dr. Kim Sanders had a lot of good things to say. And you can see why... She loves what she does and loves her clients. How did you get interested in becoming a veterinarian? I mean, that's something. That was a childhood dream. There's always been a a strong passion for animals in my family, and uh, that's the only thing I've ever wanted to do. Now, who was your favorite pet growing up? Um, I had a Dalmatian as a as a child named Penelope. Um, That was that was very close to me, and I also grew up showing horses. That was my. My second pet. How long did you have your Dalmatian Penelope? Um, I had her 12 years. So, and then I have a chocolate lab that's 15 now that goes everywhere with me. So you loved animals. So you made that transition from high school when you started college. You knew you wanted to be a veterinarian. You knew from the, so you've known since you were a kid almost. I have. And where did you go to veterinarian school? I did my undergraduate at Clemson, and then I went to St. George's Veterinary School in Grenada. So I was in the Caribbean for three years. Well, that didn't sound too too It difficult. was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> and how long have you been involved with the Anderson County Animal Shelter? I have been in Anderson County for almost four years. I worked for the Anderson County Humane Society as well um, during that period of time. So I've only been involved with PAWS for the last um, five months or so. Um, and I've only been here full-time for three months now. Well, what was your impression? You were the Humane Society. You came over here. What did you think of PAWS? The facility was fantastic. Um, I think there were a lot of, of things that needed to be changed, and we've made a lot of progress over the last few months to uh, to implement some life-saving changes to, to get the animals to where they need to be as well so that we can save lives here. Well, there are a lot of people who will be watching this that remember the old animal shelter. may not have even been out to this one yet. Uh, y'all do have, if somebody wants to come see what you've got going on, people are invited to come during office hours Absolutely. and stuff. Absolutely. And tell them what kind of things go on here on an average day. 
on an average day, we have um, between 250 and 300 animals in our care. So we, we do get a lot of um, complaints that we don't open until noon. You know, the staff is here, but we have to come in and clean in the mornings to, to get the facility ready, get the animals fed, to get the cages prepared and cleaned. Um, so, so we do that, and then the, new, the public is welcome from noon until 6 p.m. Uh, most weekdays, and then Saturday from noon until 4 p.m. Um, we have tons of animals here you know, in needs of homes. We have cats, kittens, puppies, uh, lots of, of large breed dogs as well. Um, we're certainly looking for volunteers now to help so that we can get the dogs outside more often and, and certainly get the community involved in taking care of these animals and giving them some enrichment as well as just taking care of their basic needs. Well, let's talk about that. What kind of things can people volunteer to do out here? Um, one of the most important things that we could use is, is just someone to come and walk the dogs. You know, they don't get much time outside at this point, and that's a, a huge benefit for these dogs. You know, it gets their energy out and calms them down. It teaches them leash manners, makes them much more adoptable that way. Um, if you prefer cats, then you can certainly come and socialize the cats as well. You know, they have, um, they have a need for, for love and, and enrichment as well. You can share toys with them. You can take them to a separate room to sit and play with them. Certainly love on them as well. And you have a nice dog yard out here where people can get out. They haven't been out here to see the facility. They can get out in fenced-in area where they. If there is a small fence. It gets away area. from you. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, that is one of the things that we're certainly looking to expand upon. Um, there's a, a lot of land out here, and we'd really like to have a, a nice large dog park where people could come and um, have it a little bit separated from the from the general population, so that they can get them out and exercise them. And, well, if somebody couldn't volunteer, uh, how, what can they donate to the shelter that would be helpful for you folks? Our biggest things for, for donation would be um, canned cat food. That's always something. Every cat gets cat, canned food um, every day. They're, they have dry food available at all times, but canned cat food would be the big one. Um, we can certainly use towels or blankets. Um, you know, every animal gets a towel and blanket every day as well. Paper towels are always great. Um, and then for the dogs, we certainly use a lot of peanut butter. Um, we do give Kong toys, and that's just to give them something to do as well. Um, so we go through quite a bit of peanut butter. About like shredded paper? and uh, We don't use shredded paper anymore. Okay, um, well that's new to we, me because yeah, you did. Yeah, we have gone to blankets and towels for them all instead. Much cleaner um, on the facility and less risk of transmitting. It, I can tell just so. out here it's not. Yeah. <laughs> so, but y'all will take donations in of blankets and towels. And Absolutely. That, that kind of Absolutely. thing too. All the time. Well, let's talk a little bit about the services here. Uh, I know you can, you know, you can chip animals here. I know that you can, you can adopt animals. Uh, if somebody is has gotten to a point where they can't take care of an animal anymore, y'all can take them. Give me a little rundown of all the services that y'all can provide here at Paws. Some of the new services include um, us trying to help the public keep their animals. You know, if if they're in a situation and they need some dog food, um, you know, we'd we'd like to be a food bank at that point so that we can offer them food. Um, if they do need medical care, you know, basic medical care, something that we could assist them with, and we'd like to do that as well. We'd like to keep animals in their homes instead of having to take them in and, and place them into a new environment. So, you know, we, we certainly offer that as well. Um, County Council just passed the Community Cat Diversion Program this week, and we're really excited to be able to take in these feral cats and spay and neuter them and vaccinate them, which then decreases risk. Um, they will also be dewormed, which also decreases parasites in the environment. So we're really excited about being able to, to save these feral cats and put them back into the environment where they belong. If uh, somebody um, 
finds a stray or something and just doesn't want, is it okay for them just to bring it in here? Is that we, part we of what We prefer that they make phone calls, uh, call up to the front to make an appointment. Okay. Um, we, we're really trying to. We're to right there by the office hours. So. The office hours are Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, noon to 6 p.m., and Saturday, noon to 4 p.m. And for, for right now, we're closed on Wednesdays to the public. And during those hours, people can come adopt, uh, bring animals in for drop-off, um, bring donations in. Those are the hours that the public can come out. Absolutely. Right? Those are the hours we're open to the public. And the, if they, somebody comes, let's say they want to adopt a dog or a cat, um, why, why should they come here and do that? What do y'all provide that's an, an advantage to them and to the animal and everything else? We provide um, you know, a lot of love and attention to these animals. They've, they've come from a rough situation a lot of times, and you know, it's, it's a great way to really provide and give back to the community to take care of these animals. Um, the animal will be tested for either heartworms or leukemia and FIV if it is a cat. Um, it will have all of its appropriate vaccinations according to the age. It will be dewormed. It will be treated for fleas, and it will also be microchipped at that time. And obviously, it will be spayed or neutered. So that's a big savings. I mean, if somebody got just a neighbor gave them a puppy, that would run several hundred dollars Absolutely. to do the things you're talking Absolutely. about right there. Absolutely. Um, tell me about some of your goals here. You're talking about some of the new things here. I know one of the ultimate goals is that we become a shelter that's just a no-kill zone entirely. Tell me about some of your, your goals for the shelter. Absolutely. Um, terminology is a little tricky, and, and no-kill can be very confusing to some people. Right. So, you know, there are certain facilities that are able to only take in highly adoptable animals and unfortunately we don't have that um, you know we have to take in everything that is is brought here um, and it's for safety reasons as well so we do get some truly aggressive animals that, it, that it's not safe to rehome so other than that we would like to save every adoptable animal whether that be a feral cat um, you know or, or grandma's house cat or um, you know any any type of dog as well so that is our goal is to save everything that is adoptable to uh, help with behavior issues if they're having problems to help with medical issues um, we, we work closely with rescues that will allow us to save animals that have been hit by car that may have broken legs um, you know so that is certainly our goal to save everything that is adoptable and the county's initiative which started a few years ago to make spaying and neutering affordable through the shelter and other things has really cut down on the numbers of animals that uh, had to be put down in over the years and now it's much, much smaller percentage. Absolutely. Um, Spay-neuter is pretty much the only way to truly decrease the number of animals coming into the facility. And I believe they were closer to 12,000 animals per year um, over the years. And, and this year we took in a little over 7,000 animals. So that's a tremendous difference to be able to, to cut down on the population uh, and do so by spaying and neutering your animals. And y'all regularly offer discounts for that, right, for animals? Um, right now we, we're not necessarily doing the public's animals, okay. but we do have a contract with the Humane Society. Right, that's um, right. And you can certainly go there and, and have it done at a very low cost. And that's been something that the county and Paws have done for some time now. Yeah, yeah, that's Absolutely. that's one of the really big things that's helped yeah. cutting down on. Absolutely. Uh, do you take in animals other than dogs and cats? We do occasionally take in other animals. Um, we've had some birds. We've had some rabbits, guinea pigs. Um, we had a, a woman this morning who wanted to drop off a fish tank, a 30-gallon fish tank with some fish in it. So um, we, we do get some odds and ends here and there. Um, 
We have some goats out back, so a little bit of everything. Goats? <laughs> you never know what's going to come in the front door. So anything that's that's a domesticated animal, y'all will pretty much take in? Is pretty it? much. Yeah. You ever had any snakes? No. <laughs> not so far? <laughs> not since I've been here. <laughs> Hopefully not at all. <laughs> uh, the other thing it seems to me that when uh, people come down here, and I've been down here a good bit over the years, um, a lot of people come and everybody thinks they want a puppy. Right. Explain some reasons why that's not always the best decision. It's a, a difficult decision. I think people always want that, you know, they always say, oh, we want our child to grow up with that puppy. A lot of times a puppy is a terrible, terrible pet for a child. Um, you know, they're not housebroken either. They will jump, they will chew. Um, so a lot of times it's like having another toddler. And sometimes that can be really overwhelming when you already have a small child in the household. Um, you know, I, I'm, I don't take puppies home at all. I, I like the older dogs, and that's certainly where I focus. They tend to be easier to housebreak. They tend to be very grateful, um, you know, and they certainly have a lot of love left to give. So I think adopting the adult dogs is, is certainly the way to go. Puppies are easy to find homes for, but the adult dogs just have so much love, and, and they seem to be a little more mellow. And I know someone had told me some of the, even some of the older dogs that had had to be turned in because their owner died or something right. or like you said are trained or gentle or really Absolutely. good good pets and have several years good years Absolutely. left in them already housebroken that's always a plus not destroying things and chewing up the house what do you see for the future what are your plans for the future here what do you what is your, on your goals list for pause uh, my goal list for pause we've we've come a long way in just three months um, in the month of December we were able to save 86 percent of the animals that were brought into the facility and that's an amazing turnaround um, from from where things were when, when I first started so the goal for the future is to just save lives the goal you know to help people keep their animals in their homes um, to spay and neuter and to help decrease the number of animals that are coming into the shelter on a daily basis you know we certainly want to be able to provide loving homes to every animal in Anderson County. And you've had a lot of support from the county administration and council and all to do absolutely. these things. Paul's has been really on the high, high on the list for council administrator for Absolutely, for some absolutely. Time. And I think that, um, you know, with their support, there's nothing that we can't do out here. And they've, the people of Anderson have, have certainly spoken and their, their voice has been heard. And, you know, animals aren't just on the back burner anymore. They're very important to many, many people in this community. And, and they certainly have shown that. And before we started, you were telling me you're doing your part <laughs> in keeping animals off the street. Tell people how many animals you have at home. I have 15 dogs of my own. Can you um, tell me their names? Do you remember all their names? I, do, I know all their names. Let's tell me their names. I uh, have Chaz, Moo Moo, Jacob, um, Cash, Jack, Gilly, Mona, Ned, Hank, Baby girl, Gert, there's two more, Fox, and Juca. You do have 15 right dogs. I have 15 dogs, <laughs> uh, mostly pit bulls. Um, I'm a foster failure quite a few times, um, but I, I always have a few extra dogs that are looking for homes that are in my house as well. Okay, pit bulls. People, I, I can't let that go without you mentioning <laughs> some People hear that many pit bulls. People are like, what do what you, they like surrounding your house as guard dogs? Or what no, are you talking about here? No, these are house dogs. Pit bulls are amazing dogs, um, and, and they do have a bad reputation, and it's not in all of, in how they were raised. All of my dogs have come to me as adults, um, some of them in bad situations, some of them court cases that I've worked. Um, so, you know, it, it's not just in 
and how you raise them. It, the dogs themselves are very loving dogs. They were initially bred and, and raised to be nanny dogs for children. Now, do you so, have children? I do not. Okay. I have horses and dogs. Horses? How many horses <laughs> do you have? Two horses oh. and two donkeys. Two um, so <laughs> That's I better stay, than 15. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I stay busy with those as well. But pit bulls are wonderful dogs. Um, and the majority of the dogs we have here, we have a lot of pit bull mixes as well. You know, and you say that, it could be lab mix just as easily as it could be a pit bull mix. So they're wonderful dogs. Um, and there is a lot of, of a bad reputation out there, but they are absolutely wonderful dogs. One of the other things Paws does is you help counsel people. They come. We're looking for a lazy dog. We're looking for a, a low-key dog. Y'all can help counsel folks and lead them toward the right kind of animal. Correct? Absolutely. You know, and that's more important than just sending another dog out the door. I want it to be the perfect home and the perfect situation for that dog. So it is very important to me to get to know the dogs that are in our care for that exact reason. If someone comes in and they want one that's great with kids or loves to swim or wants to play ball or frisbee, you know, that way we know a little bit about their personality and we can make that perfect match. That's really what we're looking for. And can people foster if they're not sure? Absolutely. Can they come in and foster Absolutely. a dog for a little bit to see if it's a good fit? Absolutely. And if not, then you know, we, we would rather they bring the animal back and find another one that will be a good fit. That's very important to us. Right. Well, is there anything else people need to know? What's, what's the best place for people to find out information about PAWS? Um, you can certainly look on our Facebook page or on the Anderson County page as well. If you go to the Anderson County page, it will link you to Pet Tango, which it has the available animals here. And that's every animal with a photograph um, that's in the shelter that is available at this time. And you get a lot of folks who said, hey, I was looking at this animal online. We do, yeah, we get a lot of people. Sometimes I'm really surprised by, you know, by the, the animals that they'll pick or, or come in and ask for. So we do. You know, social media is very important nowadays, and, um, and we get a lot of special requests as well. So if there's a particular breed that you're interested in, you can let us know. And then, you know, if we get one of those dogs or cats, we can certainly let you know um, as well and, and try to make that perfect match. And what should people know before they come get a pet? What do they need to have in their mind? What do they need to they know? need to know that it is a lifelong responsibility. Um, it is like having a child. And, you know, we want these animals in your home being loved as a family member. We don't want them outside. We don't want them on chains. Um, you know, it's very important to us that they are loved, that they are treated like a family member. So, you know, know that it does cost money. Um, you know, the cheap part is getting any animal. You know, that's easy to do. Um, but the upkeep can certainly be expensive. You know, food, emergency problems, um, veterinary care, you know, that can certainly add up. So there's great pet insurance available as well. So we do offer 30 days with any animal that's adopted. Um, so I think, you know, just, just knowing that it's a lifelong commitment for that animal's life is, is the great place to start. And tell people why that's worth it. It's worth it for unconditional love. There's nothing better than coming home to, to those dogs and to the cats that are just so appreciative just to see you every single time. And, and that just reminded me, can you, can you spot people when they come in the door if they're a dog person or a cat person? I can tell pretty closely who's who. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell pretty closely. And, and cats are still more of a problem to get adopted, right? Cats there are just too many cats out there. Just, they have Absolutely. more litters and they're out running around. They do. So that's why the community the cat, feral cat is so problem. exciting for us. We just You can't adopt your way out of that problem. Um, we've done a pretty darn good job, but you know, especially with the feral cats, to me they're the same thing as a, a raccoon or a possum. They are a truly wild animal, um, and you will, you will never domesticate them. So it's important. 
And the holiday adoption and promotion was very successful. Absolutely. Do you know how many animals you adopted during that? Uh, we adopted, adopted over 200 animals during that time, so that was just fantastic. And throughout the year, y'all run these kinds of specials we for do. dogs Absolutely. and cats, so people need to Absolutely. stay in touch with your Facebook and Absolutely. online to, to know, or they can call out here and say when's the next dogs special. Dogs are $35, dogs and puppies are $35 at all times. Um, cats are still free right now, so we're, we're really just trying to save lives at this point. And they really have saved a lot of lives out there. You ought to look at statistics sometime uh, if you don't believe how they've reduced the number of uh, animals that have had to be euthanized over the years. It's, it's decreased so dramatically that uh, the numbers are, are, are almost hard to believe. And if you haven't been out to Paws lately, you will be amazed at, at how well organized and how clean the place is. Um, it makes it so easy and, and so possible to continue to find good homes for dogs and cats that have been abandoned. So if you need a pet, uh, you can check out Paws on Facebook and it'll actually show you pictures. You can go to their website and it will show you pictures of some of the animals that are available for adoption. Well, that's it for this week's Anderson Observer Podcast, news from people you trust. Join me again next week when I'll be talking horses, barbecue, and a lot more. And until then, get out and do something to make Anderson better place.